end with one, I think. And uh, it's certainly appropriate for the Lord to speak out of the storm. You think of the power and awesomeness of God. Isn't that a great way for the Lord to present himself? Remind you a little bit of the first chapter of Nahum, where uh, you see that uh, uh, in whirlwind, whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. That's the latter part of Nahum 1, 3. And uh, so, you know, the Lord's going to speak. Now, for the first time since the beginning of the book, God is identified as Yahweh, as Jehovah. And uh, what a good timing for God to speak. You know, Elihu has been kind of the buffer between Job's speeches and God's. I believe Elihu's speeches have sort of prepared the reader for the challenge from God, and certainly, most recently, telling about this storm coming. I'm assuming he really saw the storm, and as it approached, he describes it, and then God is there. Um, what would you have expected God to say? I think probably not at all what he does say. You know, I think if we had been reading the book up to this point, and we knew God was going to speak, you know, here is Job... You know, he loses his money, he loses his house, he loses his family, he's sitting in a dump with boils all over him, and God says, look at the hippopotamus, and other things like that. Uh, not really what you're thinking he's going to say. I think I would have offered an explanation. I think I would have said, Job, you don't understand, this was all a big experiment, you know, here's what this is all about, God doesn't do that. And uh, so that can't be the key for Job, at least, in this book. And uh, maybe I would have tried to uh, answer some of the things that Job, uh, you know, charged me with. But God doesn't do that. You know, instead of answering Job's charges, God asks Job questions. Instead of answering Job's subpoena, he basically subpoenas him. So God certainly takes charge here. You don't see God on the defensive. And... Uh, I mean, the thing of it is, he's the creator. He owes man no explanation for anything, for that matter. Thankfully, God has been very open with us in many ways, and he's revealed all kinds of things about himself and about his purposes and plans, but there are unrevealed things, and he has no obligation to us, you know, to tell us anything, and we ought to be very grateful he's told us so much as he has. Um, really, God puts Job in his place. And, and Job needed to be put in his place. When we come to the end of the book, you certainly wouldn't say that God is like, has rejected Job. There's no way you would say that. God even blesses Job greatly. But Job has crossed the boundary in some ways. And he doesn't know as much as he thinks he does. And even when we're suffering greatly and we don't understand, we really need to think more about how much respect we ought to have for God, and we need to think more about the wisdom and power and the rightness of everything that God does. So, we, we come to worship God because we appreciate God, not because we understand everything God does. Are there things in, in our world that we don't understand why God does it that way? Absolutely. You know, I don't have an explanation for everything God's done. I don't have an explanation for everything God's revealed. There are some things that, you know, I wouldn't do it the way God does it. Doesn't sound very good to me. Well, what does that prove? I don't know nearly what God knows. Certainly doesn't mean God's inferior because, you know, I don't agree with him on some points. 
And so basically, God's going to take Job through an imaginary walk uh, all over the universe, basically, and then later the earth itself, to impress him with several things, uh, but ultimately with the, his greatness as the creator and sustainer of everything ex that exists. So Job has been demanding answers, and now God is demanding answers. That's, that's my introduction to, uh, to this, uh, before we ever even uh, read into it. Do you have any uh, comments or thoughts uh, by way of introduction? All right, well, uh, how about one to seven? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements, since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Okay, so God out of the whirlwind, I believe, addresses Job. And, you know, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You know, prepare yourself. I got some questions for you. You know, if you know so much, you know, I'd, I'd like to, to ask you a few things. And what does he start asking him? creation? Yeah. Like, what about creation? Where were you? In yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, you know, what part of this did you witness? And uh, what kinds of other stuff does he ask him about creation? How was it done? Yeah, how was it done? Like, uh, can you give me the dimensions and who did it and what's the foundation of the earth and you know, I mean, like, did you know all this stuff? I mean, this is a great construction project if you looked at it that way. You know, the whole universe. I mean, wow, this is quite an amazing construction project. Well, what did Job have to do with all that? I mean, you know, did he, uh, did God consult with him? Was he, uh, did he help execute the, the project? Uh, you know, did he review all the, uh, you know, numbers and make sure the physics was all right on where he put the planets and, you know, all this kind of stuff? I mean, you know, well, <laughs> uh, why would God ask him those questions? Pointing out the obvious, I think. Which is, I mean, what's he trying to get Job to see? You don't have a clue about the deep, you know, the inner workings of everything. Yeah. So, so how can you be telling me how to run it? You don't even know how it runs. You don't even know how it was made. You don't know anything about it. So, I mean, it's like, who am I to say, God, this should not be happening in the world. You shouldn't let this happen. You ought to do that. Well, yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't do one thing in the universe, and I know nothing about how it really functions. That's all God. So, I mean, it'd be like, I don't know, what if you took some... Uh, somebody who really had a great deal of knowledge. I, I maybe like, you know, a, a, a really super uh, capable brain surgeon or something like that. And me come along and say, now listen, I don't, I don't like what you're doing with that. You ought to do it this. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, just what do I know about brain surgery? <laughs> you know, that would be really kind of ridiculous uh, when you stop and think about it. And uh, I doubt that the brain surgeon would pay any attention and shouldn't. 
So thoughts and comments to verse 7. So God's made his point. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's interesting that that in itself basically made the point. Right. But yeah. there's a lot more <laughs> where that came from. <laughs> Job needs the point made really well. <laughs> yeah. Because Job has made his point in uh, <laughs> quite a bit of uh, verbiage. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we just need to be more impressed with the majesty and the glory of God. I mean, you know, I don't know that we think nearly as much as we could about the just impressiveness of everything God's done. You just don't really think about it. You know, you can't kind of take the universe for granted. You know, it's here. But God put it here. Wow. I mean, if this was really a construction project, <laughs> uh, you know, wonder how many uh, big uh, engineering firms would be required to, for consultation on this one, you know? I mean, this is just, wow, this is construction in a whole new dimension for us. I mean, there's not even words to describe it. And so that's true with so many specific phenomena in the universe. And that's what he's going to move to. You know, from the creation of the world as a whole, he starts dealing with different aspects of the world and just saying, you know, what about this and what about this? And it makes us think, you know, maybe some things we wouldn't have thought about God having to do and get right, you know, you think about. Some of the biggest projects on earth, you know, it took years to build and the Empire State Building and Hoover Dam, the Great Wall of China. Magic Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. That was where I was going next. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when you look at the earth, like from outer space, you can't even see those things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, uh, like the Empire State Building or something takes up what percentage of the earth's surface? The Berkeley Pit. He has one of the hugest, the hugest, one of the biggest. <laughs> You've probably never heard of it. Holes in the ground. In Montana. The amount of earth that's been moved by man anywhere, and yet, you know, compared to the surface of the earth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The volume of the earth. So even if you know, even if God were addressing those people, you know, which have done according to man, you know, one of the great things, and it's like, you're not even <laughs> uh, thousands of the way through the earth. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be, it might, this would be an inadequate analogy, but maybe it would get the idea across. You know, mom used to be able to pick splinters out of my finger when I, you know, have the garden bark and I'd get a splinter in my finger. Would that have made mom qualified to advise a brain surgeon so she knew how to pick a splinter out? You know? <laughs> you know, not exactly the same league, and yet it's probably a lot closer than what we are to God, even the greatest engineer and all that that we have. All right, how about 8 to 11? Or who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther, and here you shall your proud waves stop. Okay. So what's he dealing with now? 
ocean. Yeah, the ocean. <clears throat> and uh, he's sort of pictu picturing the uh, sea as what? A baby. A baby, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, God was kind of the midwife that uh, helped the uh, baby, the sea, burst out of the womb. And uh, he clothed the sea in a cloud. Uh, and uh, so forth. And, uh, and God you know, kind of uh, gave the limits to the sea. He put the boundaries, set the bolt and the doors, and said, now you can come up to here, and that's it. Um, you know, Jeremiah makes the point, what is it exactly that God put as the uh, kind of the, the limit, the boundary for the sea? Kind of almost the retaining wall for the sea. It happens to be what? Sand. Isn't that right? <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very uh, powerful, you know, retaining wall, but that's exactly what it is. And you stop and think about it. I mean, man, we have all kinds of terrible whatevers when a hurricane or one of those tsunamis or whatever. I don't know, how, how much of a storm surge could you get? Maybe 30 feet or something like that? Did you ever get that much? Not with a hurricane, maybe. Would you get with a tsunami, maybe? Be a, well, you call it a surge, storm surge, but it'd be a wave. Would, be be a wave. That, would it be higher than that? Or it could be that high. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if we got a, a 30 foot, 40 foot storm surge or a tsunami wave, what kind of damage does that do? <laughs> wow. That's, that's devastating. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, that's not nothing. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. That the sea behaves itself, you know, that it stays where it belongs. I mean, can you imagine if every once in a while the sea, you know, traded places with North America? You know, Atlantic decided to occupy North America and disoccupy the Atlantic Ocean. That would not work very well, you know, not for us. But God, God set this whole thing up. And, uh, you know, the sea burst forth from the womb and God bolted and locked the door and says, here's where you're going and that's where you're going to stay. And it did. He did. She or, it did, I guess. The, you so you're probably not a uh, man or a woman. Not in English, anyway. Thoughts and comments? 12 to 15. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like the clay under the seal, and they stand forth like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken. That's a good question. You, did you ever command the morning? I mean, do you ever bring the sunrise? Uh, you know, you see God as kind of like a, a military commander, perhaps. And, uh, you know, he's the one that, that controls the sun and, and all that. You know, Job's sort of forgotten who's the creature and who's the creator. <laughs> And you see that in all of these kinds of questions. Um, and, and God is the one who decides what's going to happen to the wicked. You know, I mean, he's the one that's in charge both physically and morally of the universe. You know, what does Job know about all that? What has he been able to control? You know, we don't even understand it. I mean, I, for all we know, maybe Job was still thinking that the... Uh, you know, sun revolved around the earth. I don't know. You know, 
may well have been. You wonder what kind of misconceptions do we have today that we have no clue about. But if we really knew the, knew the truth, our model is way wacko. We, we don't have any way to know. But uh, I bet you anything, we got all kinds of things that if we really knew the way it was, it'd be our idea is totally wrong. Comments, questions? 16 to 18. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. So about the realm of the unseen, like uh, the depths of the sea, have you been down there to see how things are? Or the uh, region of death, you know, have you seen that? You know, he criticizes how God's managing the universe and, and all that, but he's not even been a lot of these places. You know, do you understand the, the, the atmosphere and the, the, you know, air? You know, do you know all this stuff? You know, tell me. What, tell me all about it. You know, can, wouldn't, wouldn't that be an interesting conversation if Job actually knew all this stuff and could have a conversation with God about it? But, of course, he hasn't a clue, you know. He knows nothing. Uh, so how could he possibly critique God? I mean, if I saw the brain surgeon operating, what would I say? I mean, I might say, well, you know, I don't, I don't understand why you did this or that. I would just show my ignorance. I wouldn't even know what he was looking at. I wouldn't know what it meant. You know, I wouldn't even understand how to work the instruments he's using. So what kind of critique could I give? Comments? He really does uh, keep pushing this on Job, doesn't he? 19 to 21. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? That you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Few other things Job's research has missed, like uh, where the light dwell, and where's the place where the darkness is. You know, I mean, he's really impressing Job with his limitations and his need to let God be God. And maybe even too, you know, think about how many things God has to think about. You know, how many things fit together in our world. I mean, it's like Job, Job think that the world revolves around him. You know, there's things God's dealing with all the time that Job had never even really thought about. But, you know, he uses a lot of sarcasm with it. You know, for you were born then, the number of your days is great. You were around back then, weren't you? <laughs> right. <laughs> Comments? Sir, does God use that often, sarcasm with... <laughs> I wouldn't say often, but occasionally. Like Paul does it. Well, he did, like in the Judges, when he told them to go call to their yeah. gods. I was just trying to think. You know. I, I, you know, I haven't thought in that category very much, so I'd have to think about it a while. Uh, but there is, there are some sarcastic statements of God and even of other Bible writers sometimes. I mean, sarcasm is just a way of making a point. I don't think right. he's trying to be harsh to Job. I think Job needed really to reassume his creaturely stance. Yeah, I guess, and the only thing I would say with that is obviously you need to understand the context because you could take this and say, 
Oh, well, Job, Job was born. <laughs> yeah. Just like we do with the circle of the earth and the foundation. Yeah, good of point. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. That'd be funny. You were born then. Yeah, you could, you could, you could prove so, anything by the Bible. <laughs> so God created the earth after Job was born. Yeah, right. <laughs> so where did the other guys live? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've always got to understand statements in the context. It's a good illustration. God certainly doesn't seem to be worried about Job's self-esteem here. That he's beating <laughs> up too much. <laughs> well, I think How Job you? had a little bit of an elevated self-esteem problem, perhaps. He's also a man. He's not going to take it quite the same way. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's what we need. I mean, when we get too big for our britches, we need to come back to this. And we just need to realize who we are. Why do we think we're so special and so smart and so able to just decide everything and know everything? You know, I mean, anytime we get a pride problem, we just need to be closer to God and see God more. And, man, you know, we could be exactly where Job is. I mean, are we going to answer this any better than Job would? We don't know any more than he does. So, you know, what if God would do that with us? Thoughts? Well, we come to um, precipitation in various forms. 22 to 30. Have you entered the storehouses of a snow, or have you seen the storehouses of a hail, which I have reserved for the times of distress, for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that light is divided, or the east wind scattered on the earth? Who has cleft channel for the flood, or the way for the thunderbolt? Spring rain on the land without the people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the seeds of the grass to sprout. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of the dew? From whose womb has, the, has come the ice, and the frost of heaven who has given its birth? Water becomes hard like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Well, interesting here. Um, you know, has, has Job been in the place where uh, God warehouses the snow and the hail that God sends down, you know, when he wants to, or, you know, when he deploys his weapons for the days of battle? You know, that's an interesting thing to think about. Maybe you never thought about, you know, God having hail or snow in a warehouse but uh that's one way of uh you know imaging this and he's telling job would have you been there you know have you have you checked out the inventory you know and uh so i mean he's got creative you know poetic ways i mean I, we understand that this is not affirming that snow or hail is actually stored in some kind of a heavenly warehouse i suspect job understood that too but you know, just how does God do that? <laughs> you know, uh, we can describe some things, but we can't explain the cause and uh, how this all was set up. You know, and he talks about the uh, God commanding the lightning and the winds, almost with the ease that you'd send troops to combat. Um, and then I find it very interesting what he says, starting in 26, to bring rain on a land without people on a desert without a man in it. Um, does God really have any reason 
to send rain on a place where there's no human beings? I mean, why make grass sprout in a place where man doesn't live, where man doesn't go? What does that show you? Two or three things, I think. Could be a preparing for the future when man does come across that place. That Could be. Completely dead. Could be, but I think there might be something better than that. Yeah, you know, do we think that everything God does is just for us? And if and if we're not going to benefit by it, then why would God even do it? Is it that almost the way we think? You know, as if you know everything revolves around us. Well, clearly it doesn't. Why would God send rain on a desert where no man is if there weren't other things God was concerned about than just man? Now you can see God's extravagant grace. He does send the rain on the desert, you know, and just because he wants to, just because he wants to see it beautiful and glorious. Uh, so I think that is putting Job and mankind in his place. Because, wow, don't we get to thinking the whole universe revolves around us. And Job, you know, Job had almost acted like in some of his questioning that God had nothing better to do than to take his time just to, uh, you know, give Job an explanation of everything that was happening. Uh, so, that's, that's uh, precipitation and Job. Comments and thoughts on all that? But the ice, the water becomes hard like stone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That is pretty impressive, isn't it? And the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Yeah, that's right. You know, who would think water could get like stone? That, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the things that, you know, that he's talking about that man doesn't understand or you know, has no how where the laws uh, we know the laws of nature and physics but we don't know why or where they came from uh, you know the he doesn't even have to get detailed good <laughs> <Right. Good> thing <laughs> with yeah yeah why is it that water you know, does that or it's the, yeah is it hail is it Hmm? Why did it become like a stone? Well, maybe it's like the frozen surface of the lake or something. Okay, so this isn't I'm thinking precipitation. Yeah, but I, you know, you've also got the ice coming down from the, the sky, you know, so you've got that too. But I was thinking also about like a lake or something. Okay. I was thinking hail. Yeah. That's, yeah, the storehouses earlier. Right. That's true. He mentions the frost. The dew. Yeah, There's all kinds of, uh, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, phenomena with forms of water, I guess you'd say. Uh, isn't it amazing how many forms of water there are? You know, I find it interesting to talk to Brazilians. They normally haven't seen snow or anything. Say, well, you know, what's kind of interesting is there's all different kinds of snow. It's not just one thing. <laughs> 
Because, I mean, you know, even just the basics, you know, we got sleet and hail and freezing rain and snow and, you know, and with them in the last few years, we've had all kinds of other descriptions, freezing fog and ice pellets and, you know. Freezing and, uh, fog? Oh, yeah. It's, if you read the weather things, that's what they're always talking about. And, and, I mean, we talk about wet snow and dry snow and, you know, and that's different. You know, it really is, you know. And so there's just all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know... I mean, if we delved into things, there'd be so much more complexity in some of the simplest things than we can ever imagine. You know, and that was kind of the uh, the thesis of that really decent book, uh, Darwin's Black Box. That, you know, Darwin didn't realize how complex things were because he didn't have a way of seeing them. But now that we've got these you know, super powerful microscopes and all, we realize that in the very simplest thing, there's in infinite complexity. And the more you look into those things, the more you realize evolution just doesn't work. There's too much complexity in things we can't even see with the naked eye. That's kind of the idea of that. So, I mean, there's just more... God's just kind of giving a sketchy outline. You know, if we went into this, oh my. Yeah, that's kind of my point earlier and, and the idea you know how man thought there were only like five basic building blocks you know right. dirt and water and fire yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and still couldn't understand it <laughs> yeah and look up 31 to 33 can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, or fix their rule over the earth? Okay, so do you control the stars, and all the various constellations and all that, which are really impressive because there's so many of them, and uh, we really don't know hardly anything about them. I mean, I mean, how does God guide them? And well, we just wow. Even now, we are so ignorant of the stars. We can see them up there, but there's so much we don't know about that. And we have absolutely no control over them. <laughs> it's amazing how many different, totally different categories of things God talks about in this chapter. You know, and he just keeps going with that. Um, and then he comes back to the storm, really, I think. So 34 to 38. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightnings so that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the innermost being, or, or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom, or tip the water jars of the heavens, when the dust hardens into a mass and the clouds stick together? So, can you bring the rain? Can you send the lightning? You know, does lightning come and present itself before you and say, Here I am, you know, where do you want me to go? You know, it doesn't work quite like that. <laughs> You know, so you see God as the God of the storm, even day by day. You know, is it is it the command of your voice, Job, that causes the clouds to pour the water on the earth? Uh, you know, so, I mean, wow. From storm back around to storm, Job just knows virtually nothing about the natural world. And that's just the beginning of God's speeches. Comments or thoughts?
in my judgment, bad chapter break. Let's make this chapter break starting with verse 39 because we move from the natural world to the animal realm starting in 39. So to me, this is a better chapter uh, break. 